Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Leading in a Crisis podcast. On this podcast, we talk about all things crisis management, and we deliver that through interviews, storytelling, and lessons learned from crisis leaders. I'm Tom Mueller, coming to you today from Austin, Texas. I want to welcome my co-host, Mark Mullen, who's joining us from Bellingham, Washington. Hey, Mark. Hello, Tom. On today's podcast, we're continuing our conversation with Polly Flynn, a highly respected executive in the retail space, having served at BP, Walmart, and most recently at Giant Eagle. Polly currently runs her own consulting company, Flintstone Strategies. Today, we're talking with Polly about leading a large retail business through the pandemic and how staying close to their customers helped that company survive and even thrive through the pandemic. Let's pick up that conversation now. Okay, Polly, there was one other issue we were going to talk about with you on the podcast today, and that was your experience leading a company through the pandemic. And obviously, that was a crisis situation that companies all over the world had to deal with. Uh, But it sounds like that your company was able to sort of capitalize on a couple of issues um, to, to keep people safe, but actually improve the business during that time. Can you share that story with us? Sure, Tom. The, let me set the stage a little bit. Uh, for those of your listeners who aren't familiar with Giant Eagle, Giant Eagle is a family-owned uh, grocery, convenience, retailing, and pharmacy business located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with uh, a majority of their stores in Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and uh, Indianapolis. They go to market under two banners, Giant Eagle, which is the grocery store. Um, there's about 300 Giant Eagles in that metropolitan, in that geographic area that I described. And then Get-Go, which is a gas station convenience retailing chain of, a, of about, again, in about 300 stores. Uh, What's important for the story is that inside all the Giant Eagle supermarkets were pharmacies. And so that was an important element, both for internal capabilities. And then obviously, as the pandemic progressed and vaccinations and things like that provided to be a a really important part of of our ability to to help consumers and um, also get real-time information about what was happening from a from a um, health perspective. So the it, it was it was a really terrifying time. I mean, I think everybody, you all, both you and Mark and then all of your listeners, if we can all transport ourselves back into March and April of 2000 and you'd say to yourself, just remember all the information that we didn't have uh remember the terror of not understanding what where how this covid could be transmitted what the impact of it could be and this almost tidal wave uh that kept on wave that kept on sweeping over you about every day of new horrors and challenges and changes that were happening and then envision that you are an essential business. Grocery stores are named as essential business. Convenience stores, gas stations were named as essential business. That somehow, and pharmacies, obviously, somehow in all of this, you had to figure out a way to keep your staff 
safe, your store is open, and your customers informed. It was quite, quite a kind of six months to eight months before things ever started to get somewhat normalized, if you can even say that, that they got even normalized in that time frame. Well, and you're in a very competitive uh, market there, uh, or business actually, you know, in the uh, um, grocery and pharmacy uh, places. So how were your, how were you guys faring relative to your competitors in that time? Well, one of the things is that, so most of the competitors for us, particularly in Western Pennsylvania, were Aldi and Walmarts. And then in uh, Ohio and Indiana, Kroger. What was mm. great about Giant Eagle is because we were, um, A, a family-owned business without the somewhat challenges of a quarter-to-quarter performance. Um, also, because we were more local. I think we were able to better understand and get a pulse and pivot quickly. The One of the key elements that, as I reflect on that time period, that allowed us to get more information um, more quickly than some of our competitors, as I worked with a, a company at the time called um, MD Code, now it's called Penta, a, a friend of mine by the name of Mike Berlin runs that company. And Mike has a background in polling and market research. And Mike came in very quickly at, during the pandemic at the at our urging. And he started to do weekly polls of customers. And then we would do it a little bit more, less frequently with employees and team members. By getting real-time data about what customers were concerned about, were they concerned about mass, were they concerned about what they touched, um, how, what language could we use for them? What were they looking for in terms of time periods to shop in our stores? How do they feel about a grocery shop versus a gasoline or a convenience shop or a pharmacy stop? So that real-time data, and we continued that polling for months uh, to get us real information. And then we used that to create information and communication to our team members whether it be email blasts or um, on-site communication. Uh, but we created a, quite a bit of advertising. I wouldn't call it advertising. I call it public service announcements about when we were open, how we were thinking about um, sanitation and safety, what information on vaccinations do our customers need, uh, you know, Online shopping just exploded, right? Being home, you know, either grocery pickup or home delivery, uh, how we were working our way through that. We, we were able to versus our competitors. Eventually, they, everybody got there. But I think we had weeks, if not potentially um, a few months, uh, head start, uh, as I reflect from of April 2000 through that summer. Uh, versus our competitors. Well, it sounds like, again, that there was an, an, a great bunch of initial turmoil as everybody tried to figure out what is this disease and what is safe. But it, it went on for more than a, a few months. It went on for a long time. Did you end up changing your strategy as you moved farther into COVID or did this the initial emphasis and stuff carry all the way through the, the whole response? I I th we 
we continued sort of, you know, as a leadership team, we continued basically um, three day a week conference calls. You know, if you remember, Mark, information was literally for the first eight to 10 months was changing all the time, right? As the government figured out, as states figured out, local municipalities um, weighed in, customer sentiment changed. Uh, So really, if you think about managing this crisis, it was almost a crisis that wouldn't end. Um, And as a leader, you had to completely re, you know, most crises end after a period of time, maybe a few weeks, maybe it's a month, but this went on for almost over a year. And it affected every aspect of your operations, every aspect of your communications, and in some ways offers to customers. So as a result of that, you really had to be in real-time connection with A, what your customers are saying, what your employees were saying, and then B, um, how do you actually uh, pivot and take action on that really quickly? It was a do, learn, do uh, moment okay. for marathon. I call it a do learn do marathon. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know, Tom. Do you remember any actual crisis event that lasted for more than a year? I Let's can see. Yeah, I can think of one recently. <laughs> yeah. to, uh, I, I dream about it most nights still, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, you know, Polly, as you know, as you describe this, uh, obviously, there's clearly some emotional aspects to this, uh, as there is in dealing with any major crisis. The fact that this one just kept going and going, you've got new different information coming in all the time, and yet you're, you're having to make executive decisions that affect your people, your customers. Uh, again, the uh, the sort of uh, stress and strain of that. And I'm curious, you know, just from a leadership perspective, how you kept yourself in the game mentally and, you know, how you kept your teams motivated through that, you know, very difficult time. It was a challenge, no doubt about it. We kept our office open. I felt very strongly about that. Uh, if our team members had to work in the stores, then we should be in the office. We structured it such, you know, in terms of social distancing, we had, you know, when people could come in, but we felt very strong that the office had to be open. And I personally work there most days. I was also worked in stores quite a bit. I bagged a lot of groceries, went and helped our um, colleagues uh, in the, you know, if you think about it, the, but the turnover that occurred in some of our supermarkets um, was, you know, 50% increases in, um, in sales. But it was really important, again, to show our team members uh, that we were there to help them to uh, work the registers, to bag groceries, you know, in my own operations, uh, you know, stocking coolers and um, cleaning floors and things like that, and dedicated Fridays to being the day that I would no matter what, be out in the stores thanking our team members for working and pitching in where I could. So in some ways, Tom, that motivated me, right? Um, being, I, 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 I mentioned at the beginning, I'm a builder of, of things and people being one of them and being in touch with our team members and 
uh, working alongside them was a was a big motivation for me. Um, I also started to uh, exercise a lot more. I always was a you know, but I needed to get out. You know, I started to do a, a, a three to four mile walk along the three rivers in Pittsburgh every evening just to clear my head and uh, and uh, and you know, kind of get back to nature and and uh, recognize that the world was was not going to end, but. But it was uh, it was a marathon. It was absolutely mm-hmm. a marathon. Well, this sounds like a an episode of Undercover Boss here, where you're going in and working side by side. Uh, no reality show came out of this particular engagement, though, right. right? Well, I had a mask. I think that was the only undercover thing about me. But uh, but it was. Um, yeah, I wasn't. It was there. I was there to help, not to. But I did right. learn a lot, and also, you know, talk about information. We were getting polling information. I mentioned from Mike Berlin's firm, but uh, the, you know, there's an awful lot of information you get when you're out there yourself, and uh, that was another, you know, data input for me um, every week to make sure that I was understanding what the pulse of what was happening. And again, it's a great leadership standard to be there with the people that are being impacted and i appreciate you talking about keeping your offices open and literally being in the store with your people that's just a great a great leadership practice yeah great leadership by example there obviously polly i'm curious what um what did you learn from you know working side by side with your folks in the stores that you perhaps wouldn't have have picked up elsewhere well, I think certainly um, not to get into cultural wars, but the the ma- as you know as the pandemic evolved and masks and no masks and really understood from real time the challenges of um, you know at the time we were asking our team members to wear masks and um, even at we started for a while to ask our customers to wear a mask, but that was very difficult. And so that, that the whole mask and no mask element was, uh, it was important for me to see. And one story, uh, I was working in a store and a police officer came in with no mask. And it was, it was definitely an aha moment where you said to yourself, how can I ask my team members to try to enforce this mask um, when the police aren't even wearing the mask? So it, um, you know, it was those moments where the were, were science, uh, certainly we, you know, masks help, they help protect you, they help protect others, but the reality of how people felt about that and what you were asking your store team members to enforce um, collided. Yeah. It's the, the policemen are not supposed to wear masks. The robbers are supposed to wear masks. <laughs> I always remember walking into banks and for, for decades, you walk into a bank and that's a sign saying, please remove all face covering before entering the bank. <laughs> and now all of a sudden everywhere says, please put on your face covering before entering the bank. Yeah. So it's easy to have confusing messages. So, Polly, from a crisis perspective, then, as you kind of, you know, close out here on on the the giant eagle uh, story, what's the what are the critical lessons that you've taken away from that experience now? And if you had to go through something like this again, you know, what would those be? How would you apply those? 
One is you can never communicate enough. I think that's someone might say that's a bit trite. Of course you can't, but the frequency and the ways that you do it, we became quite creative about how we really shared new news and, and uh, to our team members and our customers, but you can't communicate too, too much uh, in an authentic, thoughtful, transparent way. And when you do that, you win. Even though it might be somewhat scary and you might be taking your putting yourself and your business out and brand on a limb, but authentic, transparent, and frequent in a crisis works. I'd say that, Tom, is one of my key learnings. Yeah, I think Mark and I both come from public information officer backgrounds, right? Where you're that's the goal is to get information out as quickly as you can, accurate information to help people make decisions and at least understand what's happening. And the more you can right. pro provide them, uh, the better decisions they can make. And of course, the more positively they perceive you in being helpful in that situation. So that being helpful as you were at Giant Eagle, did that help your sales and, and such for the stores? Yeah, we um, our brand value as measured by, you know, the, um, uh, net promoter score, all sorts of other metrics was never higher than it was during that time period. Um, and, mm. and also stuck, even as you started to get into 2002 um, and beyond in 2003, it's stuck. And so to your point, an authentic, transparent, and frequent communication works. Your customers appreciate it. They look, they, they, you're, you build your trust and respect. It was, um, the pandemic helped both businesses significantly from being a trusted local um, uh, family member, I'll go so far as to say, uh, for the citizens of the communities in which we operated. Uh, based on 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 how we how we executed uh, and and worked our way through the through the pandemic. Just one more question, real quick, Polly. You've been down this road a few times now. This is sort of you're you're getting experienced at it. Uh, when you go into it, an incident like this or into a, a response like this, did you have an idea going into these how long it would be, or did it take longer than you thought it would each time? Yeah, I think I usually, I mean, I think it can always go faster. Um, I, but yeah, I come in with a bit of a, of, a, of a plan. I won't say a preconceived notion, I'll say a plan. But I'm also very thoughtful about willing to pivot. If I get new information or, or I have a different experience or I decide that something can go faster, something needs to go slower. I'm not afraid to change my mind. I'm not wed to it. So I think you have to go in with a plan. Uh, your team and and your customers too are expecting you to, to come in with a plan. Have a, but also uh, make sure that you're not so overconfident in your abilities and what you've learned before you got into the situation that you're not willing to make a change um, quickly. So bring all your skills plus flexibility. Well said. All right. Well, Polly, thank you so much for joining us uh, today uh, on this episode of the Leading in a Crisis podcast. It's been our very great, great pleasure. 
kind of hear your leadership examples and those stories you shared. So thank you again. And we hope you'll come back and join us again soon on another episode. You guys are great. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Polly. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Leading in a Crisis podcast. If you like what you're hearing, then please like and subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star rating. We'd really appreciate it. And please tell your friends and colleagues about us as well. We'll see you again soon on another episode of the Leading in a Crisis podcast.